This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody, and welcome to... The season finale. This is this is it for season one. Uh, before we go on a brief holiday hiatus, and we are ending season one on a real high note. I'm really excited for today's episode. Uh, that's because my guest is Celia Cameron. She is the vice president of marketing and communications at Cabrini University. Uh, we're coming to you live in person today. That's a rarity for this show, but I'm really excited. Uh, Celia is going to talk to us about a university-wide rebrand of Cabrini University, which she spearheaded and which launched in July 2016. Celia, welcome to the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to campus. Love this campus. It reminds me, I think I mentioned this, it reminds me of my alma mater as soon as I walked in. Uh, so a little shout out to Stonehill College up in Massachusetts. <laughs> it made me think I was back on campus. Um, I mentioned when we introduced the show that you launched a university-wide rebrand effort here at Cabrini University. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of just take a step back for us and just let us know, I mean, give us a glimpse of what Cabrini, I think it was Cabrini College at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that brand like before the rebrand? Yeah, so there really was not a brand. And that was one of the challenges. So I, I started here in January of 2015. And The college, Cabrini College at the time, really had very little brand awareness. We had a lot of misconceptions out there. A lot of people thought we were an all-women's college when we had been co-ed for 40 years. So you got that kind of stuff going on. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. (laughs) Um, And the bigger challenge, too, was we we had a new president. He was very aggressively wanting to expand outside the region, including international and uh, we were adding doctoral programs. And so a lot of people didn't know that we had grown our graduate population. And internationally, college or collegio means high school. So we, the university change was really a way to better represent who we are to a more diverse market. You mentioned that a new president came aboard, you were mm-hmm. looking to expand. Was that really the main catalyst behind the rebrand? Or were there other factors maybe bubbling behind the scenes? So I think that that was the... That was the impetus for the time crunch to do it. Um, I, when I got here, I felt that regardless of whether we did a name change to university, there still needed to be a lot of branding work. The last branding uh, project or you know analysis had been done about nine or 10 years earlier. It was very clunky. It was not relevant to today's high school students um, or graduate students for that matter. So I was already kind of thinking about interviewing people. I already was interviewing people, getting their take on what the institution was. And it was then, and I'm thinking, okay, well, we'll rebrand it. We have this time, still is Cabrini College. And then bam, we're changing the university and it was off to the races. Gotcha. You mentioned that it had to happen very quickly. Yes. What were your limitations from a, from a time perspective? We thought that we were going to, from Cabrini College to Cabrini University in 2017, And we found out, um, let's see, probably in August of 2015 that it was going to be 2016. And the date kept moving because it was reliant on the uh, Pennsylvania Department of Education to recognize the name change. And there was a whole process there that, so originally it was May, then it was April, then it was May, then it was, and we said, okay, you know what, July 1st, we're making it happen Mm -hmm. with the year. 
but that that means we had about 11 months after we thought we were going to have 30 months or however you want to look at it. Good. When I think of challenges, the first is the time crunch. Mm -hmm. Uh, 11 months is not a lot of time to fully rebrand a university. Uh, How do you even go about setting a game plan? What are your priorities? I mean, how do you structure this massive endeavor? Yeah. Uh, First, I make my disclaimer that I don't know math. And it wasn't really 30 months. We had about, we thought we had 20. But the the reality is that the 11 months uh, condensed timeline really helped us have a sense of urgency on campus that wasn't there before and like a firm goal. So it wasn't like, oh, we're doing this rebrand and it'd be great to get it done by X date. Now it was, this is happening (laughs) and we need to go. And a lot of that um, urgency came after I had started doing uh, what I would call like the welcome tour where I go around, I talk, my, talk to people, ask them questions about the institution and try to get a feel for what's working and what's not. And really the, the time crunch, the, the kind of start date six months into my, my time here allowed me to then change the conversations to, okay, this is not just about what marketing can do. It's about what do we need to do to become a university? And that included, this is the time then to move up that branding. And the priorities came around name change, logo change. And like I said earlier, there really was no brand. When you talk to people, what's what's Cabrini College's brand? They go, well, we have a logo and we're Catholic. And trying to educate people about, you know, brand is about the experiences more than that's the interactions, it's everything. And that the, the, the time crunch and the finite deadline allowed us to have much more intense and deliberate conversations that actually I think helped us at the end. You mentioned the timeline. Uh, did you have a budget? Did you have, were you able to, to get help or, or look outside the university? So we, we did not have a budget because it was supposed to happen in the next fiscal year. So when we moved it up, it had not been budgeted for the year. So we were able to carve out some of our operating budget as well as the president's office, a couple other groups. We basically pooled our resources. So we had um, we had about $100,000 to do it. And we realized that most of that, if not more than that, would be used hiring a consultant to come in and do a formal branding process. And that's when necessity drove us to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing it yourselves. What, what did your team look like for this? I know you were fairly new to the role yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of internal resources from a personnel standpoint did yeah. you have at your disposal? Well, we, so I went through a ex- pretty extensive reorg when I got here about two or three months into my time at Cabrini. I realized that the, the department was structured a lot like a news agency. It didn't, it wasn't a marketing shop. It wasn't a communication shop. We did not have the talent that we needed. There were great people here, but just wrong for the roles. So I did a a complete reorganization, got rid of a a couple folks, unfortunately, which was rough, um, but created positions and hired people who had the skill sets needed that allowed us to do that rebrand. So after that, um, I have a team of seven people, eight, including myself, and really a kind of lean shop that is fantastically talented. So we have um, content marketing and writers. We now uh, did a second kind of adjustment to our staffing recently. We now have a video manager. We have a social media person, design, graphic designer. um, And I kind of fill in the gaps as needed. And I think that 
we were able to do a lot for this rebrand that we would not have been able to do when I first got here. I imagine as you're going through this, you mentioned you're already having conversations with a lot of individuals trying to understand the brand or, or lack thereof, but even just the university as a whole, um, you're, you're reorging your team. How are you kind of going out to the different stakeholders, different departments who need to be involved in this process and trying to, to build those relationships? I imagine that's a really important part of this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, it, and I think in the presentation I did at the American Marketing Association conference, one of the key takeaways from that presentation was that without the, without the relationships, without the connection to the community and the various stakeholders, this would never have never been as successful as it was. It probably would have still happened because we had a deadline and it was going to happen. But a big part of, of the work leading up to even before the branding started was the effort to get the community, all the faculty, the staff to understand marketing and to know us. When I was doing my first kind of intro tour conversations, a lot of faculty members or some staff members who've been here for years would not know who I was talking about. And it was someone who had also been here for quite some time. And And I should point out, you're not a a big school. we're not. (laughs) We are not big enough for that to happen. This is not, you know, Penn, where you got 30,000 people. Uh, And so that to me was a big red flag. So before the branding even took off, we were uh, intentionally trying to build inroads into the campus community. So one of the things we did is we got rid of our project request form, which is mostly successful, although I always ask my team to let me know if it's getting too chaotic. But instead, we created liaison roles where everyone works with one or two departments, sometimes more, depending on how much the demand is. We articulated that we were a revenue generating center. So even though we would love to help the, you know, 30 student event do a program, we might not be able to if if more pressing issues were there. But the relationship was really in people now knew who was in the department and they knew at least one person to reach out to. And that had already begun. And then what, and so the relationships were starting to be built because it's all about trust, right? This is, this is what I, I, I'm rambling getting onto, but it's this idea of if they, if that, if I was still having conversations with people when the rebranding started, this whole process of exploring the brand and bringing together a new logo, if the same conversations about not knowing us were happening, we, it wouldn't have worked. And it can just be me. Like, I don't, that's not how I work as a manager. Like, the staff, the, the staff did this rebrand, right? I might have pushed it through, but it was the staff, our creative people, our writers, our PR, like they're the ones who did it. And so their relationships with the community are just as important. And so what we were doing was we were having open houses where we would talk about the brand. We would informally meet with people. So I, I often would just pop by people's offices and say, here's what we're thinking. How does this messaging sound? What do you think this is? And then just listening. And that's really huge instead of I had no preconceived notions and which helped. And so like a sponge, I was trying to take in everything. And so were my staff because I had a lot of new staff because I reorganized. And <clears throat> and we would come together as a team and kind of like just talk it out in brainstorming sessions. 
And, you know, it was our, the guy who's now our video manager was the one who came up with our new tagline of live with purpose because of conversations he had with students. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the kind of stuff yeah. that um, I think was really important. And it wouldn't have happened if we weren't talking to people. You can't do it in a bubble. And that's what a consultant would do. They'd come in and they'd talk to people. So like, get out there, do stuff. So I'm curious about feedback loops because you're, you're talking about, I think more formal feedback loops in terms of open houses and Mm -hmm. and talking about the brand, informal feedback loops, just really casual conversations. How do you manage expectations within those feedback loops? Because I can see a lot of people maybe who are are more senior within the institution who take that as an, as an invitation to make decisions on the rebrand when, when my assumption would be that that's not actually what you're really asking for. Mm -hmm. Did you come across that issue or are those assumptions? And if so, I guess, how did you manage them? Yeah. So, so two, two answer, two parts to an answer on that. The first is that um, Cabrini is one of the most open cultures in terms of marketing, right? So a lot of people tactically may think they know about marketing, but there was a very willing, a very open and willing uh, willingness to learn what branding was. I had a lot of people go, I don't really, oh, branding's not a logo. What is it? You know, they were inquisitive. And so there were preconceived notions. I'm not going to lie. That's the reality of anyone who works in marketing. They would call me out if I said that wasn't true. But I think there was a, there was a willingness to listen here that I haven't experienced at, a, at other institutions. So that's kind of the first part. I think that helped. Then the second part too is, is learning how to control the conversation. So the formal feedback loops were very um, intentional. They were uh, one, one brand element, one logo, one tagline, one framework with the three kind of things and both them hand out and a, and, and a, okay, what don't you like about this? As opposed to saying, here are three different options. What do you like best? Because then you're going to run into all sorts of problems. It was in those informal discussions where it was just like, oh, hey, uh, you're here. Uh, can I show you this logo? Or can I show you these three logos? What do you like? And doing that very intentionally with people I would say are gatekeepers, the people who not necessarily just empower hierarchically, but also in terms of social capital, right? The, the, the people who've been here a long time had their informal networks mm-hmm. and it allowed them to feel like they were part of something. And, and I would listen to them because they had great feedback. They'd been here forever. And of course I want them to, to come in. But then there'd be times where they'd say something like, oh, well, why don't you do X? And it gave me an opportunity to say, well, here's why. Here's what it's about. This is why we're doing this. And they go, oh. You're right. That totally makes sense. And then they felt like, again, they were insider, insider information and had a lot of those informal conversations with people. And so by the time we went to the formal, it was already kind of vetted by a lot of the people in the audience. And they had seen four iterations ago Mm -hmm. so that they were not going to be the ones raising a fuss. And they were the ones who were more likely to actually defend it should you have naysayers who weren't. It's really interesting. You had the 11 month timeline. You mentioned that you you waited a bit for the f- more formal yes. events. Um, you launched July 1st, 2016. Yes. About when did you start having formal events? I believe that we did the first formal in December of 2015, maybe November. Very like high level, like this is where we're thinking of going. 
And then I would say, I think it was November. Then we nailed everything down. Um, we were working a lot with a subcommittee of the board of trustees so that we had the, that aspect went to the alumni board in January and then went to the full board in January of 2016 saying, here's, here's where we landed. Are you okay with it? Backtrack. We did the open house again in January before the plenary of the board because we wanted the faculty and staff to have their say before the board. Got their feedback universally well-liked. And then we then went at the end of January, went to the board. So we were still we were kind of producing things before that, but we did not have the full green light until the end of January for a July March, a July launch. We're recording this in December of 2017 now, so we're a ways from the actual launch of this. But kind of, can you can you give me some highlights of the rebrand? So I know you mentioned obviously a name change, and I think you mentioned new logo earlier. Mm-hmm. But uh, what were some of the more you know tangible highlights of this rebrand? Sure. So before, so I mentioned before when I got to, to Cabrini and it was still Cabrini College, um, there was like very little brand consistency. There was no brand structure at all, really. Um, They had a logo. They said their colors were blue and white, but then there were things that were in like red and gold and like pink and fuchsias. And I was like, holy moly. Not blue and white. Not blue and white. (laughs) Um, I believe the the statement was, I'm really bored of blue and white. (laughs) And anyone in marketing should also chuckle at that, right? Because I think we've all heard that, whatever your school colors are. So... We before the 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 knowledge that the Cabrini University deadline had been moved up, we had already instituted a color palette, official color palette. So we did blue and white. We did a secondary color of gray, which a lot of people initially thought was one of our, and we thought some people were thinking it was blue and gray, which I don't know where that came from. And then we created secondary colors and highlight colors. So like we, it's a little bit broader, but you're looking at six colors mm-hmm. as opposed to thirty. Sure. I don't know, 30, did it 30 months earlier, 30 this, I don't know. Uh, so, so we did that and, and people, it was tough. People were like, oh, well, I really like pink. I'm like, I don't care what you like. Like that's, that's your home stationery. That's not here. And uh, it was very difficult to get people to realize that they couldn't, they couldn't have what they wanted. And I remember I've said to quite a few people here, you should be sick of blue and white. You should be so sick of blue and white because that means that there's some sort of color consistency. So that's that was the before, but I do love that. Like, yeah, you should be bored with the colors because they're your school colors. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, so we, uh, I think one of my favorite stories about the brand. So we did, so the rebrand, the branding involved, it was, it was a to- name change, a logo change, a tagline change, and then really, for the first time ever, a formal framework. Mm. We did a brand promise for the first time, trying to explain to people the difference between a brand promise and like a mission statement, and that this wasn't going to be public. It was like something to kind of rally around as an internal group. And we did, I call them pillars of the brand. So three mm-hmm. things, right? When I got here, it was like opportunity-rich community and academic excellence. And I'm like, every single institution is going to talk about this. So we have brought ours down to three. And it's, uh, we're a supportive community and there are all these different examples we use under each one of those. We are 
um, all about action. So self-discovery and action. So it's, it's about, you know, freshman year, you're going to be out doing service and things like that. And the third is social justice, social advocacy. And I remember I was in a meeting and a woman said to me, she, she works for Catholic Relief Services with whom we have a longstanding partnership. And she said, and I loved this. I hope I don't butcher it. She said, you know, what's really remarkable about Cabrini Every day, your faculty, students, and staff are doing things that are systemically trying to change the world for the better, and you all take it for granted. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, you don't talk about it because you just do it. And I was like, oh, my God, I wish I had a recording of that. Like, it's amazing. (laughs) And so that that was a wonderful example of that third third kind of pillar of the brand. My favorite story, though, of the brand is that the old logo – which was terribly, terrible to reproduce. It was this clunky old seal thing. I'm, I, talk, I should say the seal, the logo itself, but the seal of, of the logo. And it had a Latin phrase underneath it. And we kept that Latin phrase. We, everyone, it was, it was all over our website. Everyone talked about it. It was uh, service beyond oneself in Latin. Okay. So we... Noble. Noble, right? Mm-hmm. Right around social advocacy, just yeah, what I talked course, about. Yeah. And we had that in our new, new, much more modern kind of clean seal that we did. And the campus minister or priest came up to me after what, that formal January mm-hmm. uh, presentation. And he goes, Celia. And he's like, leans in, all conspiratorial. I'm like, oh, good Lord, what's going to happen? He goes, you might want to get that Latin translated because I don't think it means what you think it means. Oh, no. I was like, what? So I did get it translated by Google Translate, right? And, and then by others, too. But the Google Translation was service for oneself. Oh, no. So, <laughs> not the same thing. Not the same thing. For nine years, we had been using wow. this in our logo, all over our website, that our motto was this. And, and so... Um, a hilarious and given to us by a branding agency consultant, right? Always check your Latin, mm-hmm. I guess, is the rule of thumb. So we got rid of that and we tried to find a way to add service beyond oneself in. And the reason we probably didn't get that nine years ago was that it's like seven words long in Latin to do that. So it's never going to fit on a seal. So we got rid of that and um, and that's fine. People were fine with it, but that's one of my favorite stories of like, we were trying to honor our heritage and tradition, and it turned out that that was the worst idea that you could ever do. Unbelievable. So, so the lesson here is always use Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> At least as a first step, and then when it tells you red, sends you red flags, find someone who right. really knows the find language. Find a credible source who can verify Google. Uh, you mentioned so you mentioned the color palette mm-hmm. and how that was really hard, even once you had it established to. I'll, you know, enforce or police or, 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 you know, however you want to describe that. Um, I think with any rebrand, right, this big public launch, everyone high fives and cracks a bottle of champagne. But that's really only in some ways the, the start of your oh, yeah. effort. I mean, can you talk to me about how you maintained the brand? I mean, how did you go about making sure everyone was on the same page and that these flyers or programs or whatnot were all really adhering to this new brand? We, you're completely right. And that's something that we had to think about before we even launched was, okay, after July 1st, what are we going to do? What's going to change? How do we promote these three pillars and everything we do? How does it all come back to one, at least one of these three things? And it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. 
it's something we're still working on. We've done, we're, we're getting ready to launch our second annual, second annual, I can call it that now, um, story contest. And it's a short story contest around the pillars, right? So we ask students, faculty, staff, and alumni to give us their stories, 250 words or less, of when, give an example of someone at Cabrini who supported you through hardship or, you know, through got you through something. How, how did Cabrini change your view of the world and of yourself? Um, what have you done to realize that you can change the world? Mm-hmm. You know, like those types of questions. And last year we got a great response. So we got, we, we incentivized it with like, I don't know, like $50 gift cards to Amazon. Um, we got about 24 responses and about three for each, we had three categories. We did three for each category, um, read internally, we vetted it. And then we put them online and we had everyone vote. And we had hundreds of people voting for these students were like getting their friends to vote for theirs and this and and then we announced the winners. But the best thing about it is that it fed us authentic stories around the brand pillars that we didn't really have intentionally before. So like that idea of intentionality, we um, are trying to be much more intentional, intentional again, in our email communication, in our advertising, we started putting out some more brand based ads around like ethical decision-making and social justice and advocacy and, you know, being more than just an education type of thing, which a lot of schools do, but this is the first time ever that the messaging has become more consistent and it's not perfect. Right. I just had a conversation. I think it was last semester. So it wasn't a full year after the rebrand, but we'll say six or seven months after the rebrand. And you have to realize this was well over a year since we were doing our little road show and going around and getting everyone to say they liked it or didn't like it or whatever. I was in a meeting and this woman faculty member was sitting there and she had the document that we had given to everyone multiple times. It was available online, everything. And she said, "Um, I'd really like to make some changes with this. When are you going to push this out? And I looked at her and I thought, am I getting pumped you, right now? I'm like, are you where are the me? I was like, what's <laughs> happening right now? And and I and I must have had that look on my face because it was bizarre. And I was like, this is this is a rule that like if you have if you if it's a word preference thing, we're not gonna do that. That's your decision. You can put that word in there yourself. I don't care. But the the official document is a framework for everybody. And she was really annoyed. And she was I mean, so so it's not perfect, right? Now she knows that that had been launched months earlier, but that's always going to be that evolution and finding new ways to push that message can be hard. So that's why we're doing another story contest. You're trying to keep the content fresh. And our student blog now has categories that relate back to that. We have like an advocacy category. We have a faith category. So things that are trying to perpetuate one nice thing is we do a biannual market survey of prospective high school students. And what's changed with unaided, we did an unaided prompt, you know, what's the one word you'd use to describe. And for the first time it's now Catholic, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, way better than all girls or right, all women's right. college. Um, but we're really hoping that we get it to social justice or social advocacy and the current students unaided, that was their response. Mm. So it's there. Uh, but that's, I think it's an ongoing challenge and especially when you don't have a ton of time because you're doing a lot of the tactical day-to-day projects. Right. I, I keep mentioning this, but you know, we are, um, 
you know, year and a half removed from this. One to three main takeaways for you having kind of led this entire journey. I mean, looking back now on this process, uh, I mean, for someone out here who's, it was a pretty common question on this show, you know, for someone out here who's staring down a rebrand or is struggling with a major project with limited resources, uh, you know, what are your, your top pieces of advice or, or takeaways from this? So if you're going to do it internally, you absolutely need a one point person who has the power within the organization. It doesn't necessarily mean have to be hierarchical power. It could be relational power, you know, someone who can, who has the, the respect or like me, who's new enough that people are probably afraid to say anything because they don't know me well enough yet, which worked beautifully for us. Um, but I think you need that person who's going to own it. You can't. So even though everyone in my department owned it because they were doing so much, I mean, my team was amazing. If you did not have that one person, I was the biggest pain in the took us for lots of people as I was going, you know, here's what we're doing and just constantly keeping it at the top of the, of the list. If you don't have that, it's, it's not going to work. You need to have the bandwidth. You need to make the time for it. And, and we had no choice, right? That's what I mean. Like mm-hmm. the compressed timeline that helped because there was no choice. So I think that's one happen. You, you know, you could call it a change sponsor. Um, I think that, um, you absolutely need to have the right structure in place. If I had the structure I had in January of 2015, we would never have been able to do it. Not because the people wouldn't have been good employees and tried to do it. It's because we just didn't have the talent skill. We didn't have the skill sets. And there was no way to bring those folks and that structure to a place that would allow us to do it. And if you're not willing to make those hard decisions, then, you know, I understand they're very hard. It's a tough thing to do. It's necessary. If you're not going to do it, hire a consultant because you're not going to execute well. And then the third takeaway I would say is be dogged about the maintenance and use data. So we're able to say, okay, since the, since we've kind of ramped up our marketing and since the launch of the new site that's branded and more based on like call to action stuff, We've seen a triple digit increase in the number of inquiries and applications. We enrolled our largest freshman class in, you know, I think five, uh, nine or 10 years. So like there are things that are happening. Use that as a way to justify being the repetitive individual that you're going to have to be, because we all know if you're in marketing and advertising, it takes a long time for stuff to stick as evident by the faculty member who didn't even realize that seven months earlier we've launched. So, you know, just being comfortable with the fact that, you're never going to reach that point in branding where you're like, ah, we're good. We're good. We don't have to do anything anymore. They know now. They're good. They're good. <laughs> it's been a year. They're it's good. Fine. So I think it's, it's just, it's constant. Um, and, and don't, don't give up. I think there's a lot more talent in-house talent than people there. I believe that there is, there is a ton of in-house talent that just needs to be developed and then we would have fewer uh, requests to bring in expensive third parties if we just had trust in our employees. Celia, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. And I feel like this is a good way for us to wrap up season one uh, in person, chatting about Cabrini. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Quick, you know, a little self-promotion here. Where can listeners learn more and connect with you online or where maybe can they learn more about Cabrini? 
Uh, so for me, I think probably the best way to reach me is actually on LinkedIn. So you can hunt me down on LinkedIn. I have a lot of, I do a lot of it, uh, blog posts, things, articles on there. And you can follow me on Twitter at SingerCam. Um, it's it's kind of more around organizational change than around marketing, but feel free. Uh, you know, you'll you can unfollow if You're you want. You're a great follow. Oh, please! I I just before we hit record, I just I just told Steve that someone unfollowed me on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, so those are two places. And then Cabrini, we're all over the place. We have a great social media person, and so our Instagram account is great at Cabrini Unib. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, um, easy search. We're, we're all over the place. Excellent. Uh, and of course, every episode we ask our guests to uh, give us a social shout out and, and uh, name one or two colleagues or individuals who deserve more recognition of their work. Um, I know this was a tough task, but you, you have a couple <laughs> of people in mind. I do. Uh, so one is um, uh, an associate VP of communication at Lehigh University. His name is Ira Rubian. And Ira, I worked with Ira at Wharton and um, we worked together again at Lehigh. And I think he's done a lot with their essential communication shop to get the talent up, to really start um, kind of pushing the envelope of what a very traditional school would do in terms of communications, like a little more fun videos and student content that they were very uncomfortable with when he first got there. And so I think he deserves a shout out because you don't really like you don't really hear Lehigh coming out too much. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is, um, I just do a mad shout out for my former boss from Penn, who works in the development and alumni relations space, but she does marketing and communications there. And she is just one of the best mentors and, and also, though, one of the best people at cultivating talent. So you can see, like, for me, that's really what it's mm -hmm. all about. And so they do creative things there, and that's great. But I also think that she does a lot to try to make sure that the team is as well supported as possible. So there um, they did a lot of great things. When I was there, we closed out their huge campaign and like all the marketing around that and the website. And that was really, you know, I, I managed that with her leadership. So Cecilia Cummings is her name and um, she's at Penn Development. Wonderful. Well, Celia Cameron, thank you so much for, for helping us close season one with a bang. Happy. This was phenomenal. Absolutely happy to do it. Happy holidays, regardless of what holiday you celebrate. Thank you.